Martin Luther King. I just want to do God's will. Leonard Cohen. Hineni. Hineni. I'm ready, my Lord. Mumon Khan, Case 12. Every day, Zwigan Osho would call to himself, Master! And he would answer, Yes! Again he would call, Be wide awake! And he would answer, Yes! Don't be deceived by others. No, I won't. Mumon Khan, Case 45. Hoen of Tozan said, Even Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another. Tell me, who is that one? Bob Dylan, you're going to have to serve somebody. Martin Luther King, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. I love you. I would rather die than hate you. The Dhammapada. For hatred can never put an end to hatred. Love alone can. This is an unalterable law. People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. Please, those in back, uh, move up into behind uh, the front row. And those in the garden zendo will come and sit behind those on the tonto side. And everyone can face this way. <coughs> you can face this way. It's wonderful to see you all and to feel the vigor of your practice. You may be sitting here thinking, mm, well, what time is it? How much more? When do I have a little nap? Right now, you can have a nap. 
It's a wonderful nap time. I'm only joking, of course, I want you to be with me wide awake, but in Japan, those of you who have ever been to a Teisho given there, everybody takes that as nap time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's going on. (laughs) Maybe Roshi too. (laughs) Oh, Oh, today is January 13th, 2018. How's my accent? (laughs) Probably this is the only place where we are doing session in honor of Martin Luther King as great American ancestral teacher. I'm sure many places do have this feeling for him of reverence and gratitude, but it's a wonderful and really rare thing to have an annual session that is dedicated to this great man. He would have turned 89 this Monday. Most of you are familiar with his I Have a Dream speech. It was delivered at the March on Washington in August of 1963. I was 20 years old. There were many, many, many thousands of us there to look around and to feel to see black and white together, young and old together, all of us together. And we were singing along with Joan Baez, Oh, freedom, and with Odetta, I'm on my way. And we heard for the first time Bob Dylan sing about the death of Medgar Evers. Who was Medgar Evers? Everybody knows Martin Luther King. Who was Medgar Evers? Anybody? I think he was an activist. Uh, maybe he built it in the South. He was. He was a civil rights activist, born and raised in Mississippi, <coughs> fought in World War II at the Battle of Normandy, and came back here. And he and five of his friends wanted to vote in a local election, and they were turned away at gunpoint. His work in civil rights brought him many death threats. And on June 12, 1963, he pulled into his driveway after an NAACP meeting He got out of his car carrying a load of t-shirts inscribed with the words, Jim Crow must go, and was shot in the back, murdered just hours after President John F. Kennedy's speech on national television 
in support of civil rights. And as we all remember or have heard, JFK did not live much longer himself. Quite a country, huh? MLK, JFK, Malcolm X, Robert Kennedy, all within this short period of time, violently assassinated. In Washington, that August, so Medgar Evers was killed in June, the March on Washington, that August. King exhorted us not to wallow in the valley of despair. And of course, you know that speech very well. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. I'm just quoting a few little passages. And when this happens, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black and white, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Not to wallow in despair was his exhortation to us. And how important it is to hear this, to remember this in the wake of so many present challenges, in our own lives, in our country, in the world. You know what we're doing here? We're sitting in. Some of you are so young, you don't remember, but that's what the civil rights movement was all about. Sitting in where we weren't wanted, marching where we weren't wanted. But this sitting in, so amazing. This is a sitting in, perhaps in a more radical way than what we did in the 60s at lunch counters. We are, in our sitting, we are moving away from wallowing in despair, which is after all, just another way of saying being paralyzed by our own consternation, being paralyzed by our fears, our aversions. It's just too much. What are we going to do? We can't do anything. We'll try it. Try doing nothing as Master Rinzai said, Buji, to really do nothing is a wonderful way of being ready. Hineni, I'm ready, my lord. 
It's a way of moving toward accepting our responsibility to let freedom ring within. When freedom rings within, there is no inside separate from outside. It rings for all beings. Martin Luther King's leadership of the civil rights movement started in the mid-1950s when he mobilized the black community in Montgomery, Alabama for a 382-day boycott of the city's bus lines over a year. And it was successful. The buses were integrated. He became president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1957. And that year, in a sermon titled, Loving Your Enemies, delivered at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, he said, As our eyes look to the future, as we look out across the years and across the generations, who was he seeing when he said that? Hmm? As we look out, who was he seeing? From 1957 to what time? Hmm? 2018, right? All of you. As we look out across the years and across the generations, we must discover the power of love the redemptive power of love. What are we doing here but this? He said, love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. And at the end of that speech, he said, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And what does the Dhammapada tell us? For hatred can never put an end to hatred. Love alone can. This is an unalterable law. In other words, it's not some ideal. It's not some theory. It's an unalterable law. Your love is the only thing that can transform what seems to be the grip, the unending grip of hatred. How important for us to remember this when we see such atrocities in the world. And the Dhammapada also tells us this. 
People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. This is so helpful in our daily lives, isn't it? I imagine some of you as well, not just me, find sometimes that a quarrel seems to be very urgent, very imperative, and that that's all there is to be engaged in this quarrel and to try to come out on top, but remembering, oh, I only have a few days left to live. Well, we don't say how many, but in anyone's accounting, it's few, isn't it? <laughs> At you, you know, you, you get to that point and you think, oh my God, that's all? Just this breath? Wait a minute, let me go back. Oh, right, I had a quarrel. What was that about? So we have this real urgency to say to ourselves and to all, I love you. And I know that I will die. Therefore, I cannot continue to have thoughts that are uncharitable, let alone filled with hatred. It's so simple, isn't it? Just remember, your life will end soon. It gives you all the perspective you need to be filled to the brim with loving kindness. Okay? Okay. See how kind I will have tea, you can move, lie down. <laughs> you know, we have a very disciplined practice and sometimes it's misinterpreted as something that's harsh or severe in a way that makes us feel unworthy. No, 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 Zazen does not do that. We are not here to feel worse about ourselves, okay? People forget that their lives will end soon. Where does love begin? Right in our own hearts. To have compassion for oneself is not some kind of uh, sentimentality. It's an absolute necessity. How can we help anyone if we are filled with self-loathing? If you believe the messages you've been given that you're not good enough, how many of you have had those messages from time to time in your lives? <laughs> if you believe those messages, what are you going to convey? As you know, people who have been abused very frequently end up abusing others. Hmm? You've heard that? You may have seen that. We have to do this radical thing, this radical turn, this shift from this negativity toward our own being in order to truly have loving kindness for everyone. No exceptions. Do you know? The Bodhisattva's vow has no exceptions. Not even Trump. <laughs> no exceptions. 
Those of you who cannot hear, you probably should not have heard what I just said under <laughs> my breath. But we all have those moments. Anyway, Martin Luther King, after that speech of 1957, during the next few years, and there weren't many of them really, with the help of Bayard Ruskin, who himself was reviled by many in the civil rights movement because he was gay and had to remain kind of undercover, but was a great help to MLK. With his help, with many others' help, King's nonviolent struggle to end the segregation mandated by the Jim Crow laws led to the successful passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, one year after the March on Washington and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which, I don't have to tell you, is now under all kinds of threatening revisions. And then King widened the scope of his struggle and became even more of a threat to those in power. He was one of the most prominent opponents of the Vietnam War and gave a speech titled Beyond Vietnam at New York City's Riverside Church on April 4, 1967, a year to the day before he was murdered. And he said, the United States, thinking of what we were doing in Vietnam, he said, the United States is the greater, greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. You can imagine how that went over. Time magazine said the speech sounded like a script for Radio Hanoi. Some of you may have read the three volumes by Taylor Branch called America in the King Years, or perhaps you've dipped into one of them. I really very important reading, but you have to be willing to go through a book this thick and then this thick and then this thick. But maybe take a look from time to time when you've put down the Flower Garland Sutra, <laughs> volume two. Branch wrote, nonviolence had come over King for a purpose that far transcended segregation. It touched evils beyond color and addressed needs more human than status or possessions. Having lifted him up among rulers, it would drive him back down to die among garbage workers in Memphis. So as some of you know, and excuse me if I'm giving you a history lesson that you already know very well. How many of you already know very well? Yes? You know how he died. Yes. Those last months of his life, what was he doing? What was he organizing? Even beyond the garbage workers' strike, that was one aspect of it. Poor people. 
the poor people's campaign, right? He was bringing together what he called a multiracial army of the poor for an anti-poverty march on Washington. He wanted a poor people's bill of rights, government jobs, and programs to rebuild cities. And he said, America needed radical changes in the structure of society, in the very structure itself. The redistribution of wealth and power. Now, no ruling class likes to hear that. And then he said these words, many of us continue to find so empowering and challenging in our own lives. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. An edifice that produces beggars needs restructuring. When we walk outside this zendo, we see today more than ever the need for this restructuring. So King's last public speech was 50 years ago this April. We will have 50-year commemoration of Martin Luther King's passing on April 4th. And as you said, he was leading a march in Memphis. Garbage workers and his words there are unforgettable. He said, after having received so many death threats, he said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain and I've looked over and I have seen the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Those were his last words in public. Next day, at the age of 39, he was shot and killed. And when we think about all he accomplished, what, in about a dozen years, what is our life for? What are we doing? This is the question we must ask ourselves. We are here, sitting with the same degree of fervor, I hope, that led Martin Luther King to say, I'm not concerned about living a long life. Just want to do God's will.
And all those years, I am sure there were moments of doubt, moments when he asked himself, how can I put all these people at risk? Can we really cross that bridge? Do we need to turn back? How many of you saw the film that came out about a year or two ago? Remember that moment? Truly, deeply in doubt about whether he could do this and came back and yet again and did. So King told us, looking out across the generations at us, he said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Now, I don't have to tell you that we are in one of those times. Hmm? It's a time when civil liberties, the rights for which we fought with such inspiring leaders so long and hard over a period of many decades, the rights that we assumed defined America during the Obama presidency have been attacked and overturned in less than a year. This certainly is a time of challenge and controversy. And it is calling our ultimate measure. Sometimes I wonder, what would MLK say to us today? This new wave of voter suppression with so-called tax reform that benefits the wealthiest, with the reversal of everything that Obama worked so hard to bring about, with a rabid anti-immigration agenda, with the open encouragement of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia. Anything else? <laughs> I think we're all represented. A time when, to me, looking at all of this, democracy itself is being hijacked by an oligarchy An oligarchy that cavils to Russian political influence and Chinese economic power. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't be so surprising to MLK. What did he say back in November of 1957? Democracy is the greatest form of government to my mind, but the weakness is that we have never practiced it. <laughs> Isn't it true, he said, that we have often taken necessities from the masses to give luxuries to the classes? You know those classes up there at the top? 
So what's new? Hmm? 57, 2018. He said, isn't it true that we have often in our democracy trampled over individuals and races with the iron feet of oppression? Isn't it true that through our Western powers we have perpetrated colonialism and imperialism? So what we're seeing right now under the slogan of making America great again is not so different from all that King had struggled against and had continued to put uh, his life on the line to resist. And we're being asked to practice democracy, to engage as he did, to resist, not with violence, not with hatred, but with love. And how do we do this? We recite together, may we extend this mind, right? May we extend this mind that we are cultivating together, this mind of love over the whole universe. This is what we are doing. We are extending this mind with radical empathy, Radical compassion. It's not easy for any of us. We sit down and we think, oh, well, if only this would, oh, I can't stand, oh, how about the, well, it's not fair, whoa. Everything in our own little lives becomes so overwhelming. But that's where the work lies. To see that we're caught up in our own views, to see through the veils of self-absorption, to notice the preferential mind as it arises, to see when we're strategizing to get our own way. And to notice that when we do so, we get in our own way. I want my way. <clears throat> Suddenly, where are you? Great roadblock. And so we lose the way. So what do we do? We sit down. We sit in. And then what? We stand up. We walk the walk. Ready to respond from awakened mind. It's easy to react from controlling mind, from the mind that says, I need my own way. But to really have humility so important. So I brought these two cases into this talk about Martin Luther King 
and how we in our practice can continue the important work of justice and love. Case 12 of the Mumonkan. Every day, Zwigan Osho would call to himself, Master! And would answer, Yes! And again, he would call, Be wide awake! And he would say, Yes! And then, Don't be deceived by others. No, I won't! From the early days of his training, before he awakened, until all the days of his life, after his realization, every day, right up to his death, Zwigan would just say this, Master, yes, be wide awake. Yes, do not be deceived by others. No, I won't. A master of old likened Zwigan's Zen to a dragon enjoying a jewel. Be wide awake, Rinzai said. The most important thing is true insight. In this awakened mind, compassion flows naturally. Whatever we do, this I love you power comes through. If not, then that awakening is not yet. So you can try this throughout your session here this weekend. When your mind goes wandering off, Master! <coughs> Out loud. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> then what? Be wide awake. Right? So you're nodding off, right? Be wide awake. Oh, yes. And then what? Do not be deceived by others. Right? This is really an incredible thing. If you notice how often your self-deceptions are circling around something that someone told you, maybe yesterday, maybe when you were a child, maybe all those things that you're carrying around, this heavy sock on your back, don't be deceived by others. There are many, many, many people who are blind who are leading others. In your life, in the world at large, don't be deceived by others. Begin to trust the inner master that you are. Trust this. This is not something that we can do intellectually. We can only do it through our zazen. Zazen is the body doing you. The body has to be trusted to do zazen. How many of you are breathing? <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> Every time you breathe out, to breathe out with full awareness is the same as saying, Master, 
your master exhaling. And this is so intimate, isn't it? It is not concocting something out there. So intimate. Be awake. Yes. Instead of control to discover master, everybody understands how control can lead us in the direction of misery, dukkha, right? I have to control this. Oh, I who must be obeyed. Oh, this is in fact to be deceived by others. Oh, I don't like the way they're doing that. If we are consumed by what we think others are thinking, if we are worried about how others are viewing us, then of course we are being deceived. Who are these others anyway? Where are they? Are there any others in this room? I'll give you the answer. No, 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 no. We, we, self, other, one. This is not to be deceived. And then in case 45, Master Hohen said, even Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of another. Tell me, who is that one? Who is that other? Hmm? Even Buddha is bowing to this other. Who is this other? Anybody? Master. 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 There is no other there. Yes, I am awake. That one shining alone, age one. Some may call this master God. This master is not elsewhere. As one of the Gospels said, kingdom of heaven is within you. Some may call this true nature. Some may say who we truly are by nature. And They are servants. We are servants of that one, that master. Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the Lord, maybe the devil. It's up to you. Maybe your sense of control, maybe the cultivation of your own master, to serve that master is what we are here to do. This is serving, being served. Same act, act of love. Once a monk went to see a Zen master 
called Gensha, who is a contemporary of Zwigon. And Gensha asked, where did you come from? Usual Zen question. Where are you from? And the monk said, from Zwigon's place. Why did you leave? Master Zwigon passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How did Zwigon teach? He always called to himself and answered himself. Then Gensha asked the monk, Now that Zwigon has passed away, who is going to ask the question? And who will reply? The monk hesitated. Genja hit him, kicked him out. Now this is really important for us. MLK has passed away. Who is going to ask? What is the question of your life? Who will reply? If not you, who? Master. Yes. Who is calling? Who is being called? So really, the only way we can continue MLK's great work, the only way we can requite his efforts and the efforts of all the great teachers is to take on the responsibility to be the master to truly understand what it means to be wide awake, to be ready, to answer the call, so that when we must act, we act. We don't hesitate. Action, that is true action, that comes not from some tainted idea of what we think things should be. Appropriate action, action that cuts through delusions, the sharp sword of Manjushri being wielded by your own master. And where does that originate? Where does that action originate? Anyone? Right here, sitting. To feel the trust in this right here, as it is, To know what we chant first thing in the morning. What is that? Atadipa. No one else but you yourself. This is what the Buddha told his disciples when he was dying. Atadipa. You are the light. Atasarana, you are the refuge. Dhamma you are this Dhamma, this Dhamma, light of the Dharma, refuge of the Dharma. When we truly understand this, then with every exhalation, 
Master. Yes. I love you. Yes. Hineni. I'm ready.